0: Hey guys, <clears throat> you can come forward if you want to or stay where you are, that's fine too. It's, yeah. Come forward more, oh my goodness, right? We're in Colossians, right, chapter 2, and uh, I'm going to be kind of taking on the next chunk of scripture that uh, we're Hoyt left off, so uh, if you want to turn your Bibles there, that would be terrific. You can sit wherever you like, that's Okay. That's right. Don't leave nobody behind. No, be... <laughs> no, no. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So, we has been going through the book of Colossians, and I've kind of been bummed I haven't been able to be here because I've been at Team Kid and uh, not participating, but I've, I've looked at Colossians, of course, in the past and studied it and taught it, and uh, we're going to just look at that today a little more, and we're going to pick up at verse 18. Is kind of where he told me he left off. I hope that's true. We're going to kind of recap a little bit as well before we get there. Um but exciting to see that. I'm going to read the passage of Scripture we're going to, we're going to tackle tonight. This is going to be 18 through the end of the chapter of chapter 2. It says, Let no one condemn you by delighting in aesthetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. Uh, It goes on, if you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why did you live as though you still belonged to the world? Why do you submit to its regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All of these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom, by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. So we're going to tackle that today. Let's pray, and we'll get into the Word. Father, thank you so much for this night to come together to worship, Lord. I thank you for the, 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 uh, uh, the opportunity to have even the children in, in amongst us during worship and, uh, and how, how great that is to hear their voices, God, to see them learning songs and at least watching as we worship you. God, tonight as we look to your Word, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds that, God, you would teach us from it by the power of your Spirit. God, and that we would grow and to be uh, conformed in the image of Christ. God, we would be more mature. And, God, uh, Christ followers who, who lack for nothing because we have the Word and because we have the Spirit. We thank you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, in, in the previous sections we've looked at, uh, well, someone want to give me a recap? Someone remember what we've talked about? Since you've been here for the weeks that I haven't? You want to tackle that? It's, we're talking about the Colossian heresy, right? That's kind of chapter two or a little, a little after chapter two, verse four. What is this heresy? Or what are, what are some of the things about it? right? The, the, the heresy is that Jesus Christ alone is not enough. And, and yeah, false teachers will come in, Judaizers or, or any, anyone, uh, uh, aesthetics, um, they, they would come in and say, listen, we, we think it's, it's uh, uber piety or, or humility. We've got to show that off or we've got to deprive ourselves in the body or we've got to, hey, we've got to follow these festivals and it's all about these things. And if we don't follow these, what do we have, right? And, and that's a really good question to start with tonight for you and I, because that is the premise of most of society's question, If we don't do this, what do we have? And and what they're asking is, I don't have any. Their answer is I don't have anything. If I don't have these festivals or religious institutions or these laws or these rituals or these visions or something else to worship, They, they would say, I have nothing without that. What is the answer a Christ follower should give? Without if I don't have these, what do I have? I have Christ. And that's all you need. Right? Christ alone is all we need. Now, the Colossian church, they knew that. They, they embraced that, but the false teachers are coming in. So Paul's coming in and saying, listen, wait, 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 time out. Don't let them intimidate you. Don't let them fool you. Don't let them deceive you with their traditions and, and what they're doing, right? Paul is encouraging the, these readers of Colossae, or Colossae to remain firmly anchored in Christ and firmly anchored, anchored in the gospel, which is Jesus plus nothing is everything, right? It's, it's Jesus and nothing else and Paul warns them not to be shifted into some other position not to be shifted into a position that maybe sounds plausible or or sounds persuasive right people can be persuasive right people have these ideas of oh this sounds good and this this have a, have a conversation with a mormon right have a conversation with a jehovah's witness that a lot of the same terminology is used that sounds right it sounds good but it's off there's something off there right so we can if we do not firmly aren't firmly grounded and planted in christ we can be easily led astray and, and carried away to some other form of religious institution, right? And, and he's warning against that. He's warning against any attempt for those false teachers to lead them away or to carry them away or for us to be led away or be carried away. It's not only, obviously, Paul can't control the false teachers and as much as he can, he will. And we are to rebuke them and throw them out. But for you and I, we're the ones that have to be on guard. We have to know the gospel so firmly that we can spot a false anytime that it shows up. I remember Pastor Stan said this years ago in in a sermon, and uh, and it's true of of our, um, our our counterfeit departments in our in our government, right? How do they spot counterfeit money? By knowing the real one, they they, they know the feel, the touch, the look. They know it so well. When a counterfeit one, pff, they know it. It's counterfeit. Right? How well do we know the counterfeit traditions and religious institutions that are out there? Yeah, certainly, ones that are. We call them wackadoo or whatever you want to call them. They're 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 totally crazy. We can spot, but ones that are so similar, how do we refute that? How do we how do we stand on, firm on on the gospel? And that's that's what Paul is encouraging: stand firm there. These these false teachings are based on human tradition. They're based on religious institutions, and they want to overthrow the essential truths of the Christian faith. And that's that's not a good thing, right? They sound good, but they will overthrow the institutions of Christian faith. They'll overthrow, overthrow the, the truth that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. They'll add something to that. That verse will have to go on and it'll say by works instead of not by works. It sounded good and it also appealed to natural senses. That was something that's important to think about. Uh, natural religious instincts. It's like, oh, that, that sounds good. So what are some natural religious instincts that everyone kind of probably has in their, in their heart. Like, those are natural religious instincts that I would, I would probably tend to go towards those or believe those things. Think about the world at large. And these aren't necessarily good things, by the way. Our natural religious instincts are, are probably instincts of the flesh that would carry us into a false gospel. So what are those things that would carry us into a false gospel that we would probably have a natural inclination to believe or go towards? What is it? Okay, angels how so? We don't so so the question then how would our religious instincts lead us towards angels though? What what do angels then become? an idol, right, something to worship, or or maybe maybe at least a messenger from us to God, maybe a mediator, and we'll talk about that in a little while, they're talking about that. What else, what are some other natural religious instincts that we would lend or tend to, to move towards? Dan. Yeah, humility. Oh, polytheism. Okay, we have multiple gods. Sure. Oh, okay, We we have a phone here. Go, go ahead and go ahead and turn it off, Steph. You, I give you permission to reach in. It might be Natalie's, or it's probably Darcy's. Actually, everyone online's like, "What are they doing? What are they?" Hey, the phone rang. We had to stop and pick it up. Right? God's calling us. Probably not really, right? So I think that's Darcy's, and she's over next door. So she'll come back for it in a minute. Okay. Um, what other other religious, na- like natural religious instincts? that we might have yeah yeah that's good yeah so I, I should pray I should talk to God what else should I do religiously what else should I be doing I should go to church right what else I should sing some songs maybe recite some verses what else I should give They're good good job I should wear long pants well, that's true. I should, you, let's say I, could, I should dress a certain way, okay? I should follow the rules. Is that a good one? I mean, instinctively, we're like, I need to be super religious. I need to be kind of straight and narrow here, right? Right? Maybe, and maybe even that would tend to lead us towards a, a deeper religious instinct of moralism. I want, I want to be morally good, Right, I don't want to be because uh, to be religious and to get to heaven and be favored with God, we have to be good people. That's a re- natural religious instinct, right? I, 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 what else? Oh, sure. Okay. Right. So people around raising their hands and it's really getting into it. They think, maybe think, hey, uh, this is, I've got to do this in order to be religious. Right. And may feel, make others feel a little uncomfortable with that. That, That's yeah. Some of these things we're talking about aren't bad things. Right. I want to be a good person. I want to, I want to read my Bible. I want to go to church. I want to sing. But if, if it comes down to the human nature of religious institutions and instinct, if I move towards that and don't have Christ, I have nothing. All I have is giving. All I have is all of that stuff. Right? Right. Right. We need to look up there, right? Our, our relationship with God is based on our relationship, not someone else's relationship with God, right? So, yeah. The, so, there's a natural religious instincts that we have in our own hearts. In our own lives that we tend to shift towards. And, and we need to be careful in our own lives. When we come to faith in Christ, those things are things that come after faith in Christ. Because of faith in Christ, that's why I sing. That's why I worship. That's why I gather with the body of Christ. That's why I try to live righteously and be holy as he is holy. Because he, he has given me everything. He is my treasure. I'm not doing those things so he becomes my treasure. He already is my treasure. So it's, it's a chicken and egg. Which one comes first? Well, Christ comes first. All right? And, and we we worship and bow down to Christ. We, we uh, humble our hearts before Christ and we come find him alone. But the natural instinct is when we start to kind of waver in that faith, we think that those religious instinctive institutions will carry us. And that is wrong. That's not not correct, right? Paul continues to talk about um, these, these false teachers. And he says, that they're not teaching what, what I am teaching. And if you go back to chapter 1, verse 6, What did he say in verse uh, 6? He says, uh, maybe that wasn't it, Um, chapter 2, 6. Yeah, chapter 2, 6. He says, so then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, being rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. You see the religiousness out of me comes out of overflow, right? Overflow in gratitude, towards Christ because of uh, of being rooted in him. So when, when he talks and teaches, he says, you need to be rooted and built up in Christ. And and, and we, we're kept in line with the traditions that he has handed down from him, not the ones that are lining up with the elemental principles of this world. That's not where we line up with, right? So Paul's countering this heresy, saying that you're rooted in Christ. Your faith is in Christ. Keep it there. Keep it strong right there. I want to read verses 13 uh, through 15. This kind of um, talks about some of this again. Christ alone, right, is, is where our faith and hope should rest. Um, so it says, and when you, when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive and forgave you all your trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt which it, with its obligations, right? With its what? With its obligations, religious obligations. He erased that debt uh, that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed right? Disarmed the rulers and the authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. This is a, a triumph that God has had through Christ Jesus for our, for our sake, on our behalf. God has done this for us, and he's established that, that he's the, the victor. He's the one that's triumphant. So we look at this, this heresy. What's creeping in is, is other things, and what Paul says, no, n- never those other things are those obligations. They're those, those religious rules that, that, that religious rulers and authorities have, have brought up to you, for you to do. And they're not based on Christ. They're based on religion. They're based on pressure. They're based, they're based on guilt and shame. And Christ died for that. He put that stuff to shame. He disgraced that stuff publicly and nailed them to the cross by allowing himself to die. When he died, those rules and regulations, those obligations died. Right, why? Because we, we could never do them. Those things were a shadow, we learned, of what was to come in Christ Jesus. Interesting enough, as, we, as I look at this passage, we're, we're meeting and talking about our next series, um, starting in, in a week here, talking about the shadow, shadows we see of Christ, the shadows of Christ we see in the Old Testament. These things are shadows of Christ. And, and so you think about this, what are some shadows of Christ? What are some glimmers we've seen of Christ in, in the Old Testament? What are some of the religious traditions? What's one? Okay, Passover. Let's just let's just take that one, Passover. And I want I want you to help I want to help you identify what's going on here a little bit kind of with a with a maybe an illustration that would kind of we'd understand at home. But Passover it was it was a tradition, right? You you were to celebrate the Passover, right? Because you were to remember what the Lord did. That by the blood of the lamb he passed over those. That the blood covered, right? But that Passover was a shadow of what? Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And it, well, he wasn't he didn't need to die year after year and have a festival year after year. So they're saying, great, Passover is great, but it's it's not necessary anymore. Because Christ is our Passover. So even, even today, and I, I I say this with all respect, but even today, we have folks who come up and say, Bro, Brandon, we got we gotta we gotta do the Passover every year. We just gotta do that so we focus more on the Passover. Wait. I, I get I get it. And we've done it before, right? We've had the Seder dinner and we've talked about that, but the Passover is done because Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed and it is finished. So our faith is in him. Now I don't mind going and remembering the Passover and thinking about that and helping it point me back to Christ, our, our unblemished lamb that was slain. But if, if we're to go back and say, well, we need to do this every year, well, that's this, that's what's going on right here right? Don't let anyone judge you in regard to religious festivals and dates and times and food, right? This is what they're saying. You you, you have to, you have to. Jesus said, no, I, I did it already. It's finished, right? There's a difference there. So Passover is a good one. Let me let me just show you, think about this example for, for a minute. You're home. Think about a tradition. Maybe you had a, a certain Christmas every year, a certain way Christmas was done every year in your family growing up, right? It was just this awesome tradition, and you get excited about it every year, like I get excited about Christmas, right? But you get excited about Christmas, and, and there was something special about the way your mom or dad did something, or how they prepared a certain item, or how they put out a certain candle, or certain item, like, and just made the Christmas season warm and welcome. And, and, and what you have started to do is, because your, your parents live somewhere else now, and you live away from them, and you're an adult, and they're not, you're not in their house, but you start to keep putting those things out, and like, I just want to, this helps me remember them, and remember, and hold on to what, what was. Now think about this. You do that every year, but then your parents move back into the town that you live in, and now your parents are coming over for Christmas every year. So you, they're coming over for Christmas. Let's say tomorrow's Christmas. They're coming over, and you're busy at home putting all the things out that would remind you of them and remind you of those memories that were made and remind you. And then your parents show up, and you're still putting those things out. And oh, hey, good to see you, and then they're there, but you turn your back, and what are you doing? You're focused on these little traditions, these little trinkets, these little things, these little memories. Oh, they're right there. You're you're playing with the shadow, and they're right there. Just turn around and give them a big hug. Make those memories again. Enjoy those memories. This is the same kind of thing principle we have with Christ. The shadows were there as a reminder, as as a thing that said, look forward to what's going to come. Look forward to the celebration. But now the celebration is here. We stop that. And we turn around and we embrace Jesus Christ through faith. That's that's the shadow, the the idea of the shadow, and then the real thing, right? We don't embrace the shadows. We embrace Jesus now. They wanted to continue to embrace shadows. But he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in Christ. So today, uh, we're looking at verses eighteen and following, but in verses sixteen and nineteen, we're encouraged to guard our freedom that we now have in Christ. I want to pull this over here for a minute. i I, I just, yeah. Oh well, I was moved by these songs th- today, and I was moved. Man, alive. Well, i have got a mess. I was moved because of, of what they're, what they're, what we're singing and what they're standing for. And I, I really want us to just like hear a couple things here, because. And we've transitioned kind of in our church to really being more mindful as the gathered body of what we're actually singing, what words we're singing here, and and, and I know even as we have children in here, we try to some fast songs and catchy songs, but, but I, I still want them to, to hear these, these modern-day hymns, these, these, these stories of, of Christ, because it, it reinforces everything about our faith. It, re, it should reinforce. It shouldn't, be, it shouldn't be for pleasure. It shouldn't be for just so much fun and excitement and for feeling. It should be a song that I sing or I meditate on and I hear, and I go out just thinking that is truth, and, that, and I'm going to believe that, and I'm going to hold on to that dearly. I want to just that new song we sang, uh, Yet Not I, But Christ in Me. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. We're two lines into the song. We're two lines into the song. What does that say? What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. What does that mean? What does it mean? It's it. What else does that mean for us, though? I should go looking for something else. I shouldn't. God, send another sign. Send the angels. Send, send visions. Send dreams. I, God, God, give me Jesus. All I need is Jesus. There's no more in heaven now to give. He is my joy. He is my righteousness, my freedom. See, we have freedom now in Christ. My steadfast love. He, he's my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. If we can believe that, what else do we need? If we can hold on to Christ, what else do we need? So to this I hold. My hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Right? And that's the first verse. You think about what we treasure, and I would encourage you, there days if we have a song that's new, go home and listen to it, look at it, like read it over and over. Even on Sunday morning as we sing this song again, just, just let it soak in and, and let, it, let it hit here. It's, it's, it's unfathomable. It's amazing and how, uh, how rich the things we could sing are when, it, when it's Christ and nothing else, when he's my everything. So that, that was one of the things. I think that looking at the Psalm 84 song, the last song we sang, when I, down bow, when I bow down before you, I am richer than all kings. When I stand in your presence, I am free. When I sit at your table, I am right where I belong. In the doorway of my father's house, I'm home. What does that say? It's Jesus or bust. It's him. It's everything, right? I bow down before you. I'm richer than anybody in the, in the world. I've got more than anybody because I have Jesus. When, I, when I'm bowing down before him in humble faith, when I stand in your presence, I'm free. He brings freedom, right? I don't, I'm not bound by the obligations and rules anymore. When I sit at your table, I'm right where I belong. Why? Because I'm home. That's where home is. In the doorway of my father's house, I'm home. And he, he fills me. Yeah, he fills me, right? Choice me. It's good food. Good drink. That's, that's, and that, to meditate on those things is so important. I, I think the, the verse we read in, in um, Corinthians, and, uh, and I, I read today about being pressed. He said, I'm pressed but not crushed. I'm persecuted. This is another song we sang, right? I'm persecuted, not abandoned. I'm struck down but not destroyed. I'm blessed beyond the curse for his promise will endure. I'm blessed beyond the curse. That's, that's the freedom I have, standing in the presence. Because, right, and his promise will endure. That his, And his joy is going to be my strength. Though the sorrow may last for the night, his joy comes in the morning. The, the scriptures say that we're jars of clay. And, and with this treasure, what treasure do we have? Jesus. With this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all surpassing power is from God, not from us, not from our religious institutions or religious ob- obligations or religious, religious um, um, things we think we can, we can accomplish. It's all from Christ. I just wanted to share some of those with you. Um. Where was I my notes? I don't know. That's kind of what got off track. So we talk about the freedoms we have, right? Hey man, Thanks. We talk about freedoms we have uh, in Christ. Uh, Christians are, are to be free from traditions and obligations that, and, and, and the obligations that they impose, right? So when a tradition is there, it's like, oh, I'm obligated to that. No, that's, we're free of that obligation. Um, whether or not a believer partakes is a question of conscience settled between the individual and God. Now, there are things that God says, thou shalt, thou shalt not do, and we, and we observe. But as far as traditions in Old Covenant, those things have, have been set aside, right, and, and fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Um, so to regard them, re- regard those religious things, to regard them as a matter of religious obligation is to step outside the gospel and grace of Jesus Christ. And, and what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you can't participate. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy or observe but you can't make that thou shalt for everybody else. And I can't make that thou shalt for everybody else. O- or for yourself, you can't, yes, absolutely. If you're making it thou shalt for you, you're certainly probably gonna wanna make it thou shalt for everybody else as well. But we, we yes, those are not thou shalt. They're, those are in my, in my convictions and in my, in my conscience with God, I'm going to observe this um, out of freedom I have in Christ, right? Outside of that, it is to step outside of the gospel and grace of Christ. So let me ask you this, what, what was Christ victorious over to give us freedom like that? He was, he was victorious over death. Yes, what else? Sin, right? And and chiefly the sin of not living up to his moral standards, not being able to live up to the law and its obligations. He, he took care of that. He triumphed over that. And so for you and I, it's a ridiculous notion, and Paul is writing this to the Colossians. It's a ridiculous notion and it's a ridiculous practice for those who have reaped the benefit of Christ's victory to put themselves voluntarily back under the control of, of the powers in which he defeated. He nailed him to the cross. It's ridiculous for me to put myself under the powers of that. I put myself under the power of the crucified and risen Lord, not under the obligations that put him on the cross. So we talked about some of the things that are shadows of Christ. I, I think about this idea, you know, it's, it's we, we should say this about some of the shadows. We once practiced this, but now in Christ we practice this, right? Something different. So when we once practiced Passover, we once observed Passover. Now in Christ, Jesus is our Passover lamb, and we observe that every day, right? And, and, we, and we observe the Lord's table and Lord's supper together as we come together as believers, right? Those are, that's what we observe, right? These things are a mere shadow of what's already come uh, in Christ. And, and, and any preoccupation, any continuing in, in that, on in that stuff uh, really becomes pointless, it's pointless to do that because it's it's not where our salvation is. It's not where our hope lies. So let's look at verse 18. Now we're back to where we started. and I'm just about out of time. Good. Let no one condemn you by delighting in aesthetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to visionary realms. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. Now, we're going to break this down because it really seems clumsy. Like, what are we talking about here? Uh, let no one condemn you, right? So, uh, before we do that, but let, it's important to define this: what a mystic is, or a, what mysticism is. It's basically a belief that spiritual reality is perceived apart from human intellect and natural senses. It's like, it, yeah, okay, you might have some truth or some hard facts here, but but I'm going to I'm going to base it on on more than that. It, it looks for truth internally, right? And it weighs out its your feelings and. And institutions around it, and it sets it in place for for more comfort or more or more pain. It's almost like there are some some aesthetics who could be hedonistic, and I want more feel feel good. And there's some that want to just beat up the body. And we say this now: I'm gonna I want to suffer as much as I can, and that's my new religious truth. Right? They rely on internal sensations uh, more he- more heavily than than observable fact and truth or or the word of God. And sometimes that sounds good. Sometimes it's like, I, I need to seek within and not just be outwardly focused. And, and that's how we can kind of go astray as well. But, but we cannot count on our feelings. right? This, this sense of mysticism ultimately derives its authority. Here's where it derives. Well, let me ask you. Where does mysticism and, and, and its conclusions derive their authority? Where do they get their authority? Well, I. I am, right? in I. Me. Mine. I felt this. It's true. They, they get it from inside. It comes from self actualized, right? Self authenticated feelings rising from within. Is that what we're going to base our faith on? Am I going to base my faith on your self actualized and self authenticated feelings? No. I'm going to caution you to, to repent of that and turn to Jesus Christ and the scriptures. And you shouldn't base your faith on my feelings. I've got a feeling i've got you know no it's not feelings feelings are deceitful right the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond a cure we can't trust our heart We're, we are fallen human beings right we need to come to faith in christ so that's kind of this mysticism right yeah bubba Right, like God, mm-hmm. right. And yeah, he's fighting against that. He's fighting against, and so for those that didn't hear on viewing online, we see it all over our town and our community and different religious systems that, that claim self-actualization. They say that the, the, the divinity of the divine within, and that, that's my real truth, right? And, and it's, it's false, and, and, but it started in the garden is what we're saying. It started back in the garden of Adam and Eve where, where the serpent came and said, did God really say, right? It, it, God, it's a lie. God, God knows that when you eat of the fruit, you're going to be like him. So part of part of that human that natural human instinct we talked about earlier, one of those things, uh, natural religious human instinct is to be my own God. That''s, that's and that's not where we want to go. But so people had done that. They'd set themselves up as that. and, and then so what what happened? What happened with these false teachers? And what happened to the Christians that were there? Um, what, what were they doing? They, they were they were feeling intimidated, they were feeling judged. and and so that you have people who are Christians and then people who say, that's great, but oh wait, I found a new thing, so now I'm going to judge you based on your faith, and you're not, you're not all you're cracked up to be because I've, I've realized something deeper and better uh, that you should follow. And so they were, they were being judged. So if you look at this word, to condemn, right? let no one condemn you by delighting in aesthetic practices and the worship of angels. It, here's what it's not saying. It's not saying, don't let anyone condemn you when you do those things. That's not what it says. That's not what it's, he means by that. Uh, th- this, this word condemn means to decide against or to declare unworthy or to defraud you of a prize. Here's, here's what was happening. They would come and say, listen, we, we worship angels. They're, they're our, our, that's where we, meet, that we mediate with. And, we have, we're, and we're so humble, but we go to angels. Like, how, how dare we approach God even, right? They're our mediators. And, and you should do that as well. And if you don't do that, you're going to miss out on what God really has to offer for you. That's the language. So they're defrauding. They're judging Christians and saying, you, you don't have it right. You need to worship these angels. You need this other, you know, this false piety, this this false humility in order to really be, and they wouldn't say it's false, but the, you need this humility to say you're really on the end and, and you're not, right? And this, this, we talk about this downtown, anywhere our, 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 our friends, our family, people we work with, they can say the same things. Well, okay, you have Jesus, I know, but you, you really need to, to read this book, it was, it was it changed my life. I'm like, Wait, was it the Bible? Is it a commentary in the Bible? Is it, a, is it someone that loves Jesus and loves the Bible and is just sharing something, or is it, is it extra biblical? Right? Is it something that's like, Oh, yeah, the Bible's good, but oh, there's more. The Da Vinci Code, it gives you all the answers, right? We got to go to that, please, right? That's hogwash, but people. Start to get swayed to that, so he's saying, don't don't let anyone condemn you, don't let anyone judge you, don't let anyone decide against you or that, declare you unworthy because you're not willing to worship angels or or to, to have this same kind of humility that they say they are having. They're defrauding people of the prize. They were sitting in judgment here. Uh, we saw it earlier. They're sitting in judgment against about festivals that you would follow or you know last week we talked about the festivals and foods they're sitting in judgment like you i can't believe you eat that i can't believe you touch that i can't believe you, you worship on that day i can't believe you don't uh worship the, this part uh, this day or this festival of the moon like all of these things it's like it's the, i can't believe you're not and and for us we say oh, i can't believe you need more than jesus right all we need is christ and christ is our everything it's christ alone so what's what's the difference between true and false humility What are some differences, just observational differences? What's that? Explain that. You said works, but explain that. Okay, good. So, a false humility would be, I'm doing this which looks humble, but I have to do it. So I'm I'm going to, my nose to the grindstone. So it, it becomes this necessity, and it's almost like, well, you you're not, you have a false humility. You don't. You're just doing what you sh- you have to, not what you want to. Okay, that's good. What else? Well, it it all comes down to the heart, right? But it comes outwardly from that as well. I think false humility comes out in in pride, Bra- bragging about your humility, showing, making sure people know this is how you ought to live. This look at all these things that we do to keep ourselves in check, like. Well, not, right now you're just spouting off. You're bragging. You're boasting. That, that's not true humility, right? This, that, now that's what this group is doing. This, this is false humility. And they're saying, well, look how humble I am, right? And, and what is going to be their reward? They have their reward. Their bragging rights are their reward, right? They have their reward. Right. And, and yeah, when we show ourselves, that, show, we show others how we are more dedicated to God, that's called pride, right? And it's not humility, humility at all. It's a false one. So the reward was their pride. Their pride. The reward was maybe the delight they had and the, the, and the pleasure they took in, in having that form of false humility. That's their, their reward. But they also had a very serious problem, uh, and maybe more serious problem than false humility, that they were engaged in the worship of angels, and they perceived that angels would be a form of mediator between them and God. Why is that a problem? Rosie, you said it earlier. We're, we're taught what? Not to worship angels. Right? And, and so here's some, here's some scripture for us. First uh, Timothy 2. Paul says, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, mankind. That is Jesus Christ. Jesus, I don't need no. I don't need no stinking angel, right? I I go. I I need Jesus. We don't need angels. We need Jesus. Revelation. This is about the worship. John is is writing the book of Revelation. He's he's receiving this revelation, and and he's in twenty two a couple times in this in this book at least. Uh, He says, John and and the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard them and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had shown them to me. So he's in awe, right? He's like, holy cow and he falls down to worship. Right? He, has, he received a revelation, and he passes on to us. He falls down in worship. What happens? He said to me, don't do that. Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you, uh, you and I'm a fellow servant with your brothers, uh, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God, he says. Worship God. So obviously for us, we, we find that, oh, that this is wrong teaching. They didn't read the whole scripture. They said, oh, we want to add to it. We want to make make something a little more feel good. You know, angels. Maybe they had a bunch of angel statues or something. It just made them feel good. They worshiped God that way. We're not to worship angels. Jesus said in Matthew 4, and he's speaking to Satan when he's tempting him. He says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. We we have no other other gods. One of the Ten Commandments. We have no other gods before him, right? We're to worship him and him only alone so it's it's about Christ alone now if we look at the next part of this passage verse 19 so we, we went from 18 and then so 18 was and we, we just read this let no one condemn you or, or like right put some some argument against you take away your reward or negate it because you're not delighting in aesthetic practices and the worship of angels right or claiming access to visionary realms such people so this this is this is kind of man this is creepy People will claim that. People will say, I've, "I can get a vision for you. I can. I'll, I'll. You just give me a few weeks, and I'll pray over you, and I'll come back with a vision." It, they're adding things to the gospel. They're adding things to this the, the, to our faith, and, and, it's, and it's making us reliant on that. And that's not what we're to be. And so it goes on. Uh, let no no one do that. It says such people uh, are we on verse twenty yet? No, nineteen. Okay, such people are inflated uh, by empty notions of their unspiritual minds. So this, this is who they are. He's defining them. Verse nineteen. He, these people, don't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows uh, with growth from God. What, what is it saying of these false teachers? They're, they're liars. They aren't growing from Christ, the head. Go to, just flip to Colossians 1. This is, this is what we read a few weeks ago in this passage talks about the preeminence of Christ, starting in verse 17. He is before all things, talking about Jesus, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in what? Everything. He's the head. He has first place in everything. Nothing else. No angel, no vision, no religious institution. He has first place over everything. And God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So we're talking about these people aren't, they aren't rooted. They aren't growing firm and planted in the, in the head that is Christ. And, and look at this verse 21. This is what we remember and recall. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds uh, as expressed in your evil actions. So once we were against Christ. Once we followed the whims of the world or the whims of religious instincts and institutions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before God, right? This is, this is what we're talking about. It's, it's the preeminence of Christ and Christ being the head and Christ being our everything. But verse 19, they do not hold on to the head for, from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons grows with growth from God. Our growth comes through faith in Christ, right? It comes through faith in Christ. So spiritual growth comes from our union with Christ alone. It's only through abiding in Christ that we can bear any kind of fruit. Right? John 15. What does it say apart from him we can do? Nothing. Apart from him we can do nothing. The heresy is there's all kinds of things around. Avoid them. Ignore them. Refute them run to Jesus, run to Jesus. So we have to grab onto Jesus as as the head of the body and let let him grow us and mature us through faith in him. And as we do, we have to be very, very careful to what we read, to what we sing, to what we listen to, to who we listen to, to, to books, other books we might read. Because there is a tendency in human nature to move from objective truth to subjective truth. And that's what these false teachers wanted them to do. Oh, abandon those, those, okay, yeah, yeah, you think those are true. This is what's really true. I feel it. Abandon what you know is true, what you've been taught is true, what you've embraced is true, and run to what you feel is true instead. We would be careful of that, right? It's, it's that it would, we would shift our focus from Christ to experience, and I, I want to just thinking about these songs again, right? As we sing these songs, I, I don't. I, this is let's just say call it my own personal journey, and I'm hope, hoping you're on the journey with me and, and in our church. But as we we move away from, and I don't, we ever we never went there on purpose. We never went there because that it, you know we were wanted to, to be heretical, and I don't think we were. But we were heading to a place, even in the music or 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 sometimes our content of our Bible studies. That was more about making you feel something. Like, I just, I need to feel it. I need to, like, I need to feel the Spirit moving today. The Spirit moves through the Word of God, right? And through His people as they humbly obey themselves and submit themselves to Him. We don't need a certain tempo. We don't need a certain chord. We don't need a certain slang word, or that's not what we need. We need God's word. Over and over and over to resound in our hearts. So the journey that I've been on is, is moving moving away from coming for a fix, almost like a drug, like, oh, okay, I got my coffee this morning. I got my caffeine. It's like coming to church. I got my shot in the arm. And we treat it sometimes like that, right? I'm not saying that that the Word of God and the Spirit of God and and the worship of God won't do that for you, but it will be different than what we had sought after before. And and it's so subtle. But where it leads, chasing a feeling, chasing an emotional high, something for me, leads us down this self-righteous, self-actuated, uh, I am syndrome, right? This I am religion, religion. Versus saying, it's all about Jesus. And I feel free. I feel full because he makes me full. And I was nothing, but he is my everything. And so When our joy is rooted there, in, in the reality of who we are and who Christ is and who we are in Christ, there's a big difference than emotion. So we have to be careful, right? Do, do you understand that? And, and maybe you'll mull it over a little more. But there's a difference there, right? I have to catch myself, even Christian radio. I, listen, Caleb's one of the only stations we get. We get, we get KVIP also, but um, not everything you listen to on Caleb is good for you. right? It's good. It's like, oh, that's good. It's not good for you. Because it, we think it's safe because it's Christian radio. But not every book that says it's a Christian book is a Christian book. Not every song that says it's a Christian song is a Christian song. Not every artist that says they're a Christian artist is a Christian artist. Not everyone that says, I love the Bible, is really teaching or preaching or singing the Bible we have to be discerning. We have to be. We can't chase that feel good. And I've had to do it myself. I've had to turn the station before because I'm like, "Oh, I, I really well, no, no, that's not that's not truth. I can't don't let my emotions get worked up there. Plant yourself, root yourself, grab onto the head who is Christ and go there instead. Change the channel, switch different songs, make a Spotify list that you can trust, which we are by the way starting to do for our church as well. Of songs that we have been singing and, and that been it, it'll be good. Anyway, to say that experience is what makes us spiritual is to say that Christ Jesus isn't enough. To say that I need an experience, I need to be moved by some some word or some song or some whatever, is to say that Christ wasn't enough. And we, we get, I'm not going to dive too much into this, we, we get really um, jaded or uh, hardened or... Uh, calloused. No, used to it. I don't know whatever the word is. In America, we have, we have everything at our fingertips. We, we can do whatever we want, right? But, but when you're in the middle of a third world country, you don't have all those songs. And, you, you have the Word of God, and you have Christ Jesus as your Savior, as the head, and you have the Spirit of God residing in you. And that has to be enough. And guess what? That is enough one of the one of the biggest questions I ask people that I counsel and because because we go through hard times and struggles and 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 we, we uncertainties of life I ask them this question is Jesus enough for you right now the answer is absolutely he is but am I letting him be enough am I and whether it's a relationship whether it's a, a good relationship and, and and you're putting all your hope in this person I, is wait is Jesus enough or is that person your savior Maybe it's a broken relationship, a divorce, or a separation, right? And I, I have to have this person. I, 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 wait, wait, wait. Is, is Jesus enough? Certainly he wants restoration, but is Jesus enough for you? Right? In in hard times, right? So, someone gets injured. Someone's hurt. Someone has, has uh, treatment going on. We have all this. Is, is Jesus going to be enough? Where does my hope reside? It has to be in Christ alone. His divine power, 2 Peter, has given us everything we need required for a life of godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We have everything we need through Christ. So it begs the question then, verse 20 of our passage tonight. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why then do you live as though you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to its regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Because for some reason, we find comfort there. We find familiarity there. We'd rather bring out the tradition on Christmas instead of just embrace my parents at Christmas. We're settling for the shadow instead of embracing the Savior. The shadow foretold everything about. Galatians, Paul writes in chapter 2, he says, For through the law I I died to the law. So these things, i I got to die to those things. Those religious things, those shadows, i got to die to those things. Those regulations, i got to die to those things so that I might live for God. Because if you're living for regulations, you're not living for God. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. The same is true when we talk about the the heresy at say, so Add these things in, go back to religious institutions, go to the feeling, go to the whim. Paul would say, you have crucified yourself. You have died. You have set aside religion and, and righteousness through, through self-actualization, and you have exchanged that for faith in Jesus Christ who gave himself for you. And you don't set aside the grace of God, because if righteousness came through the law, then Christ is of no value to us. But righteousness comes not from the law. Righteousness comes from faith in Jesus Christ. So we trust Jesus. It goes on in verse 22. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines, right? Those foods, those Sabbaths, those, those don't do's, don'ts, all that stuff refers to this physical stuff. It's all, it's all garbage. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians. He says in chapter 6, verse 13, everything, or verse 12, starting there, uh, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. So can we observe? Of course. Can you be a vegan if you want? Of course, but you don't have to. And if you believe you have to, then you're wrong. Okay? If you believe others have to, then you're wrong. Can you? Sure, everything's permissible, but not everything, not everything is necessarily beneficial to you. Some of these aesthetics, what they were doing was they, they would deprive themselves oh, till it hurt, till they were emaciated, till they were, they were shriveled up and they, they, to their detriment. God's not asking us to do that. He's like, I'm going to provide for you. Kill and eat, right? Or eat better. Everything's permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Except for Who? Jesus. He says, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God, who will do away with both of them, they're, they're going to perish. They're going to be gone. However, the body is not. And so he now he's going on to this, what is, what is the physical versus what is the spiritual? The body is for sexual, or I'm sorry, is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. We talked about this body. Some would say, well, if food's just food and whatever, we can just do whatever we need to do. And, and, and within, within reason, then sex should be the same way. So he goes on and says, no, let's clarify this. Right? Sex is not just for the body. right? Um, it, it, the body is not for sexual morality, but for the Lord. Our body is for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ's body? So should I take part of Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Uh, don't you know that anyone joined with a prostitute uh, is one body with her? For the Scripture says the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one in spirit with him. There's a whole, we could talk about this for a couple weeks, right? The jest is that that there is a, a soul part of us, a, a oneness that we need to have with Christ, with our soul. And, par, and that is something that we also share and give away with our spouse in, in sexual intimacy, right? So we shouldn't have these all these crazy traditions, but we should have, he's saying you should abide here. You should You should be free to do whatever you want with your body sexually, although you might be free to eat whatever you want, not sexually, right? That's a different thing. And and, and certainly with our soul as well, we're not free to go wherever we want. We need to rest in Christ. That's the short of that. Going on, uh, and I'm kind of running low on time, sorry. Uh, Verse 23, let's finish it out here. Although these have a reputation for wisdom. So going back, these regulations, right? Uh, Don't touch, don't eat, don't, don't handle, all of those. They have a reputation for wisdom by promoting... Self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. They're not of any value, right? What's really of value is Christ, and Christ in His Spirit, and abiding in Christ, and the fruit that comes from a relationship with Christ. We, can't, we don't just beat ourselves up in some kind of false humility and say, oh, look, I've, I've earned something for God. No, God wants our heart. Matthew, Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6, right before the Lord's Prayer, or maybe after, after the Lord's Prayer. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, right? It's like, oh, I'm, I'm fasting today. I, I, I don't, I don't want to ever tell someone I'm fasting, right? I'm fasting today. They disfigure their faces so that fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. Right? I want my humility to be obvious to my Father in heaven, and He's the one who searches and knows the heart. I don't need to be obvious to others. And your father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. I want to read one passage or a little uh, quote out of this book from a Scottish preacher, Alexander McLaren of the, of the 19th century. Any uh, aestheticism, right? Any false piety or false humility uh, is a great deal more to men's taste than abandoning self. They would rather, here's what they would rather do. They would rather stick hooks in their back than to give up their sins and yield up their wills. You see what we do? We, we burden ourselves down with religious institutions claiming that will earn us something. instead of turning from our sin, repenting and coming to faith in Jesus, I hope you can say, when I bow down before you, I am free. That when, when we bow down before Jesus Christ, that's when we're really, truly free. Goes on. Um, There's one thing that will put the collar on the neck of an animal within us, and that is the power of the indwelling Christ aesthetic religion is godless, for its practitioners essentially worship themselves. As such, we are not to be intimidated by it. Paul's message to the Colossians is also a warning to us. We are not to be intimidated by false human philosophy, legalism, mysticism, or asceticism. Those are but broken cisterns that can hold no water. We must hold fast to Christ in whom we have been made complete. It's Colossians 2.10. Let's pray. Father, thanks for tonight and allowing us to come together to study your scripture. God, I, I pray that we would see uh, that, that we aren't to be intimidated by these other religious institutions, that we would we would fall down on our face before you and that Christ Jesus would always be enough. And God, that that we wouldn't, that we would be careful not to, to be attracted to these things or add to these, um, add to our own faith things that are, are not necessary. God, we would. We would have the freedom because we have trusted in you and you have made us free. Thank you that you are, uh, you are not the shadow. The shadow pointed to you, but you are the reality of what has been promised. And in you, we have everything and you are our greatest treasure. We thank you and we offer you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.